Chris Jeff, it's my privilege to look with you now in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11 and chapter 6, verse 2. Can I encourage you to have a Bible uh, accessible to you, open in some way, so that we can read through it together, think about what it means, and how it applies to our lives on this mission Sunday. Let's pray and apply to Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving us your word. Do please help us know how as we read it to understand it. Help us to. I think how to how to put it into practice in our lives. Pray that we might be all servants of the Lord Jesus. We pray in His name. Amen. Well, here's a picture of a man. Um, this man is a Christian, and uh, he's a Jewish Christian actually, and he's standing on a street in Israel. He's handing out tracts, handing out pamphlets, and he's trying to talk to Israeli people as they pass by. He tells them that they are sinners. Enemies of God. He tells them that the only way they can be saved is not through being Jewish. The, the only way they can be saved from God's anger and to have a place in heaven is to trust in the Jewish Messiah, Jesus. This man has been doing this for many years now. And it's been hard. He often has people abused him. He has people swear at him. Uh, people tell him that he is worse than Hitler. Because he's telling Jewish people to become followers of Jesus. They say, Hitler just took our bodies, you're trying to take our souls. This man has had eggs thrown at him on the street, he's had tomatoes thrown at him, he's been spat on. On more than one occasion, he's been arrested for disturbing the peace. And the police often move him along from the place where he stands to, uh, to share the gospel. It's been hard. And frankly, this man has not had a lot of success. For all these years of ministry, not from standing on the street, after, after many years of work, only a handful of people have responded. He probably gets hundreds of rejections for every person who shows an interest. So here's my question. Is this bloke insane? Is, is he out of his mind? Why would you keep going? Why would you keep telling people about Jesus when it brings so much trouble, so much hatred, so much... Is, is he some kind of crazy masochist? Is this guy crazy? In the church in Corinth, in Greece, 2,000 years ago, there were people saying that the Apostle Paul is crazy. Paul also spent his life boldly telling people about Jesus. And Paul also faced terrible suffering. And these people in the church in Corinth, they were saying, this Paul is obviously crazy, some kind of a natural. Surely if God were with Paul, he wouldn't be suffering like this. If God were with Paul, he'd be blessing him in his ministry. Paul is clearly out of his mind. We want you to stop trusting Paul and trust us and follow us instead. That's what these people are saying in Corinth. Why does Paul keep going? Learn in chapter 1 that he's just suffering. He, he, he thought he was going to die. And he keeps boldly talking about Jesus, even when men suffering. What keeps him going? Well, these last few weeks in 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul has been explaining it to the Corinthians and to us, explaining why he's so bold, explaining why he doesn't lose heart. And as we've seen, it's not because it's easy. Sharing the gospel, 
telling people about Jesus, it is not easy. Uh, Paul says some people love it when he shares the gospel, but some people hate it. We saw it back in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15, Paul said, We are to God the pleasing aroma of smell of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To one, we are an aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. Paul's ministry is divisive, like we've been talking about, like the smell of a durian. Some people love the smell, but many people hate it. Thank you to those people who brought uh, durian biscuits last week. It reminded me that I'm one of the people who hate it. <laughs> but Paul perseveres. And why? Well, six, six weeks ago, we saw a first reason. It was in chapter 3 and verse 5. Paul writes, Not that we're confident in ourselves, to claim anything for ourselves, but our confidence comes from God. He has made us confident as ministers of a new covenant. Paul's confidence is in God and the message of the new covenant, the message of Jesus, not in himself. Then five weeks ago, is there a second reason why Paul keeps boldly calling on people to live for Jesus? It's because the ministry of the new covenant is so glorious. The message about Jesus brings life instead of death, brings pardon instead of condemnation. Those who trust in Jesus will be able to stand before God with unveiled faces Forever. The message of Jesus is so important, so magnificent, that Paul, he can't, can't keep it to himself. He, he, he's gripped by the glory of the gospel. That's why he's so bold. Then four weeks ago, we saw a third reason. Paul knows that he can't convince anyone to put their faith in Jesus. Paul can't do it, but God can. God can. Turn people from darkness into light. As people hear the true message about Jesus, God can shine his light into their blind hearts so that suddenly they can see how glorious Jesus is and put their trust in him. And so Paul doesn't lose heart. He boldly tells the truth about Jesus as clearly as he can, and he lets God worry about the results. Two weeks ago, we saw a fourth reason why Paul is bold. It's because he's far-sighted. He doesn't just think about the suffering, the, 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 the jar of clay he talks about. He doesn't just think about the, the pain of sharing Jesus now and calling on people to trust Jesus now. No, he looks beyond that to the promise that God has to raise those who trust in Jesus from the dead. He's a far-sighted. He looks beyond to the glorious future that God has promised to everyone who trusts Jesus. And last week, we saw Paul talks about how the, the, the tent of this body, the tent of this life will soon disappear. But for those who trust Jesus, God has a house, a new resurrected body in a new heaven and earth. Between now and then, we must all stand before Christ, for the judgment seat of Christ to receive what is due for us, what we've done in this life. And so Paul says, Paul says he makes it the goal of his life to please Jesus. That's his life goal. To please Jesus. Now, hopefully, that's not all sounding completely unfamiliar because over these last few weeks, we've been trying to remember all of these reasons why Paul is bold. And we've used some actions. I'm wondering if you can remember them. Turn to the 
people around you and see how you go. See if you can remember. I'll give you one minute. So I should be like a jury for Jesus because it's about God's message, not me. Because I'm grabbed by the glory of the gospel because God is the one who shines the light. Well, now this next section, Paul gives one more reason. One more reason. Last one. Last one. One more reason why he is so bold, why he doesn't lose heart. He starts off by saying that in view of the judgment that's to come, he, he fears the Lord more than he fears God. Is the Lord, and so he's not afraid of people. No, no, he tries to dissuade people, persuade them to trust Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 11, have a look with him. In fact, let's turn back to verse 9. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, just to get the context again. Chapter 5, verse 9. So, we make it our goal to please him, whether we're at home in the body or away from it. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since then, verse 11, since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. Paul fears God more than people. So even if it means suffering now, he'll give his life to telling people about Jesus. Now, Paul knows that he is faithfully serving God. And Paul knows that God knows that he's faithfully serving God. And Paul thinks that the Corinthians should know that God knows that Paul is faithfully serving God. God knows who Paul is and what he's doing, and the Corinthians should know it. But these people are saying, these false teachers in kind are saying that he's out of his mind. And so Paul wants to, to equip his readers to answer the critics. He wants them to know that, in fact, he is very much in his right mind, and what he's doing is for their benefit. Still in verse 11. What we are, perfectly sane and sensible, what we are is plain to God. And I hope it's also plain to your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but we're giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen. Popular in place. In what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it's the God. If we're in our right mind, it's you. Or what's the Corinthians to be able to answer those who say that he's crazy? And so now he gives more reasons why it is that he spends his life persuading people to trust Jesus. First reason is this. The love of Jesus demands it. Jesus died for us. And he didn't die for us so we just go on living however we want, doing our own thing. Jesus died for us so we will live for him. <laughs> Jesus loved demands that Paul boldly serve him. Verse 14. So Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. In Jesus. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Christ's love compels Paul. More than that, Paul says that Jesus has given him a whole new way of seeing, a whole new way of 
seeing the world and people with whole sees things differently. Back before he was converted, Paul assumed that Jesus was a fake. And he assumed that the, the, the death of Jesus proved that he was a fake. His death on the cross proved that he was a false prophet, a false teacher. But on that road to Damascus, God changed Paul's mind. Paul realized that Jesus is the Lord. Paul realized that Jesus' death on the cross wasn't a sign of his failure. Paul realized that Jesus' death on the cross was a sacrifice. That enables people to forgive and to be part of God's new creation. Paul realized that the death and resurrection of Jesus is the beginning of God's new creation. And with that came a whole new way of seeing people. Paul now realizes people need Jesus. They need to be part of this new creation more than anything else. You see this incredibly powerfully in the book of Acts, where Paul is on trial, and all of this, all of these really rich and powerful kings come in, and they, and they sit down, the king and the queen, and all the most powerful people sit down, while Paul is in chains and in rags. And uh, he starts to tell them about Jesus. And the king says to him, what, you think you're going to convince me to become a Christian today? And Paul says... If you only knew the truth about Jesus, you would wish you were me. Except for exchange, you would wish you were me. The richest, most powerful people, and all those, if they understood who Jesus is, wish they were him. Paul sees things completely differently, verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone, in, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Paul says that the fear of God makes Paul want to persuade people. Christ's love compels Paul to persuade people. Paul's new way of seeing Christ and people makes him want to persuade people. Next thing Paul says, persuading people is a job that God gives to his friends. To the people who are reconciled to him through Jesus. God doesn't just reconcile people to himself. God makes his reconciled people into reconcilers. Paul has become an ambassador for Christ, he says. A a reconciled reconciler. Verse 18. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Paul is an ambassador. In the year 1969, Kate Coon began her career as an ambassador, an ambassador for the United States of America. She served in Africa and she served in Europe. And then in July of 1979, Kate began to serve in the U.S. Embassy in the nation of Iran. That was in July. In November of that same year, 1979, the U.S. Embassy was overrun, conquered, and Kate was taken hostage. 
For 444 days, Kate was held hostage in solitary confinement. She was, uh, all sorts of terrible things happened to her. But through it all, she acted with extraordinary courage. Uh, the people around her tell stories of how amazingly wise and brave she was. She acted with dignity, with integrity, and with bravery. When she was finally released on January the 21st, 1981, Kate was asked, what was it that kept you going? How did you keep being so brave? And she said this. We were simply diplomats. We were trying, in the best way we knew how, to re-establish a sound relationship between the new Islamic Republic of Iran and the United States. That's what an ambassador does. They keep bravely serving their country, even if it means suffering. And that's what the Apostle Paul does. As an ambassador for Jesus, he keeps persuading people, even if it means suffering. Six reasons now, at least, that, that Paul has for being bold. And now he finishes off this section by expressing his boldness in calling on the Corinthians to put their trust in Jesus. He appeals directly to the Corinthians, just as he does to everybody else with such boldness. He says, Jesus has died in your place. Jesus has borne your sin in himself. Through Jesus, you can be declared righteous before God. Through Jesus, you can be pardoned. Through Jesus, you can be accepted. Through Jesus, you can be reconciled to God. You can go from being God's enemy to God's friend. And now is the time, Paul says. Soon it's going to be too late. Soon you will die or Jesus will return. Now is the chance. So Paul says to his readers, all boldness, put your faith in Jesus. Be reconciled to God. Still in verse 20. We implore you on Christ's behalf. That's extraordinary thing to say, isn't it? This is Jesus speaking through his ambassador. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, no sin. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Take our sin upon himself as a sacrifice. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, trust Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. See, that's what? Jesus takes your sin, you get his righteousness. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As as God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. He says... In the time of my favour I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favour. Now is the day of salvation. All right. You see what's here then? In Corinthians chapter 5, section. Paul is helping the Corinthians to be able to answer those people who say that he's crazy for being so bold and suffering the way that he does. So why does he do it? Is it because he's crazy? No, no, no. There are lots of reasons. He does it because he knows he's going to have to stand before God on judgment and give account for his life. He's more worried about what God thinks than what people think. He 
does it because the love of Christ compels him. Jesus died for him. That's so he'll live for himself. Jesus died for him to live for Jesus. He does it because he has a whole new way of seeing Christ and, and, and people. He does it because God has entrusted him with the gospel, not just for his own benefit, not just for him to be reconciled, but so that he'll share the message with other people. He does it because he's become he does it because he's become Christ's ambassador. So Paul finishes this section by appealing directly to the Corinthians themselves. Jesus died and rose again for you. Through Jesus, you can be reconciled to God. Now is the time, so do it. Do it. Put your trust in Jesus. Become God's friend. All right. Well, let's think about applying this passage to ourselves. To the applications. To the applications. First, friends, we need to be reconciled. God. And second, you need to be reconciled. Ambassadors, we need to be reconciled, and we need to be reconciled. Point number one, we need to be reconciled to God. And one of the things I hate most in my life is fighting with my life. We fight about the same things that pretty much every other couple with kids fights about. I want to five things. We fight about children. We fight about parents. We fight about money. We fight about sex. We fight about housework, which includes puppies <laughs> Children, parents, money, sex, housework. Is that what you fight about? It's pretty much what everybody fights about, I think. Uh, most of our fights are finished pretty quickly. As you know, they come under the black belt in karate. <laughs> Thanks a lot, that was a joke, she doesn't Most of our flights have finished pretty quickly. Uh, but there are times when things linger. I'll head off to work, and I know that Carmelina is really angry with me, and I hate it. I can't think of anything else. I can't concentrate. I have a sick feeling in my stomach. I hate that sense of being unreconciled. And so whether I'm in the right or in the wrong, I go home and try to be reconciled. My friends, you and I, without Jesus, we are not friends with God. You and I, without Jesus, the Bible says that we are enemies with God. We are in a big fight with God, and friends, that ought to worry us enormously because it is not a fight that we can win. You and I, without Jesus, will soon stand before God, stand before Jesus, and face him as our judge. And on that day, you do not want to be his enemy. It is way more serious than a fight with slaps of your hands or something like that. But friends, God is offering to reconcile to himself. Jesus, the sinless one, bore your sin on the cross when he died as a sacrifice for you. In him, you can have your sins not counted against you anymore. You can become righteous. You can become acceptable before God. You can be reconciled. You can become, you can go from being God's enemy to his friend by putting your trust in Jesus. That's so simple. 
Jesus has done it all. He's done everything you need. You just need to accept what he's done as a free Say to God, yes, God, I am a sinner. I deserve to be your enemy. Thank you so much that Jesus died and rose again for me. Thank you that the righteous one died in my place so that he takes my sin and I can receive his righteousness. Please forgive me. Please reconcile me. Please help me to live from now on with Jesus as my boss. So simple. Just ask. But friends, I need to tell you that now is the day of God's favour. The offer is open to you today. The offer is open right now. But it's not going to stay open forever. Soon Jesus will return, or soon he'll be dead. And then it's going to be too late. So friend, let me urge you, more than that, let me, on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ, implore you, be reconciled to God. Put your faith in Jesus. We need to be reconciled to God. That's the first point. That brings us to the second point. If you are reconciled to God, if you are reconciled to God, then God has a job for you. He's made you a reconciler, an ambassador. I mean, if you look at the reasons that Paul thought he needed to persuade people to be reconciled to God, none of them are unique to him. They all apply to us as well. Are you going to stand before God in judgment? Well, then you should fear him and persuade him. Should Christ's love compel you? Or did Jesus die for you just so you can live yourself? It's not just all whose way of looking at people should be changed by Jesus. We know who he is. We know that the true we know the true situation that people are in with God. And so we should see people differently. I mean, male, female, slave, free, rich, poor, Jew, Gentile, that's all irrelevant now. None of it matters. The only thing that we should see when we see people now is people either heading to heaven or to hell. People who need Jesus. It's not just Paul who's God's ambassador. God has made you Christ's ambassador and me. God has given us a ministry of reconciliation. Like Paul, you and I, we are God's ambassadors and friends. That's why we should be bold. Which might be aware that guy I showed you at the beginning. Uh, you only saw him from behind, but he's pretty recognizable, isn't he? That was our mission partner, Igal Bender. Yeah, you can see his face there now. Igal is one of the most brave and faithful evangelists I've ever known. Now, recently, one of our Bible studies that supports Igal, they met him on Zoom, and someone asked him, How do you keep going? How do you keep going when you're so unpopular? And so many people reject you. And in reply, Egal sent some photos. These are photos of three people who we met on the street, three people who were really struggling, whose lives were really in a lot of trouble. And uh, he then invited them to come to the rehabilitation house that he runs. 
And these three people put their trust in Jesus, and Jesus has transformed them. The old is gone, the new is come. It's only three people. Uh, thousands and thousands of people have rejected the old. But how do you quantify three people whose eternity has been transformed? Because I don't think Egal is crazy. Uh, yes, he suffers. Yes, a thousand people reject him for everyone who accepts him. I don't think he's out of his mind, though. Okay, I'd have to say this. I reckon he has a better grip on reality than your man. Another promise promised compels him. He is a lot more than people. He sees people in a new way. That's why he bravely serves as an ambassador. Now, don't take me wrong, I'm not saying that we need to stand on a street corner in Israel and hand out pamphlets if you want to, go for it. Whatever the chance we're hand out pamphlets if you want to, that's great. I think we should definitely support you, Gala. But what I'm saying to you is this. In our little sphere of influence, with our friends, with our family, with people we see day to day, friends, you and I, we need to be brave ambassadors. So let me ask you this. Is that how you're perceived? Is that how you're perceived? Or at you your own work? Is that how the, the other mums perceive you? Is that how your family perceives you? When, when people think of you, do you think, do, 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 they, do they think, there's that ambassador for Jesus? There's one of those Jesus people. Did your family, do your friends, the people who you know, do, do they make you think that you're just slightly crazy? So a little bit out of your mind because you will not shut up about Jesus. Do you stand out as an ambassador for Jesus, Paul? First, we need to be reconciled, and we need to be reconciled as we are Christ's ambassadors. Right, this is the last of our actions. Final reason from this section of 2 Corinthians to be bold. I know there'll be all kinds of wages and bets and so on put on what this one's going to be. <laughs> I should be like a jury for Jesus because I'm an ambassador. <laughs> I should be like a jury for Jesus or with all the people that lost the bet. I'm an ambassador. Maybe one minute, see if you can do all six of them. Well, six of them, last time, last time. I should be like a jury for Jesus because it's about God's message on me. Because I'm proved by the glory of the gospel. Because God is the one who shines the light. Because I'm honest, I'm good. Because I'm honest. Because I'm honest. Well done. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the wonderful message from the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he who had no sin became sin for us, so that in him we might become your righteousness. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that we ourselves are sinners. We're so sorry for the way that we ignore and reject you. Thank you that Jesus died for us. Will you please forgive us and reconcile us and help us to live from now on with Jesus as our boss. Help us to live from now on as brave ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.